Hello and welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is you. <laughs> and we're here to talk news and politics or virus or well, illness. I had the Rona, I think. You got the Rona. Well, that's why we weren't doing it last week because I was Rona. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty certain you... I had the Rona. I didn't get tested because, you know, I'm not the child of a politician. Um, <laughs> or a politician themselves. Yeah. Um, I think, did Michael Gove's daughter get tested? I think Michael Gove's daughter got tested. Really? I think... Is that the one who was uh, outed as being on um, TikTok smoking weed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of um, of politicians, teenage kids on TikTok, which is, you know... Really? Yeah, which is, you know, you should they should probably check on that. <laughs> Unidentified number of Boris Johnson's children. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is... Like if it was if we if it was a different party and if it was a different time, the fact that um, a prominent politician's kid was talking about how much weed they smoke on a fucking like dancing well, did, did, app. Did you see? Did you see? I mean, not only is she doing that like uh, weird thing that was seemed to be more popular around two thousand ten to probably two thousand thirteen. Hmm of uh, posh kids from drama schools um, prolling it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so Doing the old Yes, yes, very much so. Um, so she, somebody uh, zoomed in on some of the pictures uh, and some of the screen grabs that they put up, and she's got like a hammer and sickle scrawled on her wall. Amazing. She'd, probably, she'd so do that to wind up her dad. I'd do that. Yeah. If my dad was Michael You would Michael do Gove. that if your dad was Michael Gove, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so, so like, you, I, how, I had like I lost my I lost my sense of taste and smell, which was an intriguing situation. Um, I mean, we've already been through the purple kimono incident, so yeah. your sense of taste wasn't that great to start with. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. That's yeah. just a mean thing to say. Um, <laughs> I will not let you borrow it. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was like. It's your version of the plague blankets given to Native Americans. You're just going to give me your Rona-riddled purple kimono. Yes. But, um, Spreading your plague to another part of town. So I had that. I had, I had like, fever, um, chills, a bit of a cough, stopped vaping, um, was Ooh, very... Rough. Was, like, mainly... My, my, I was fucking... I was wiped. Completely wiped. I've, like... I'm still a bit wiped now. Like, um... I'm not. The thing is, it's a good thing that you know we're all locked down. Otherwise, I'd be able mm. to do. I wouldn't be able to do anything anyway. If you know what I mean, like I'm, I can't yeah. really tire myself out in flat. Um, mm. But yeah, on the men now, I think I'm almost better because I, I don't really have any symptoms now apart from I'm tired. Yeah, yeah. But, That's like the 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 hangover of it. You ever had flu and you had like a hangover? Yeah. Well, it's weird because like for, for a while thing. I wasn't sure if I had it because like the symptoms of headache cough, shortness of breath being the same as, you know, hay fever. Yeah. I'd be having really bad hay fever. Um, I'm not gonna know I've even got it. That's my usual that's my usual existence. Yeah. But um I think I'm all better now, which is good. But yeah, the Rona is, you know, still happening. I don't know and if I mean, you've of heard course, <laughs> and of course you were inspired by Boris's miraculous recovery. I was, I was. He was he was example. risen. He was risen. Um because we, we missed that he, all last week, on, didn't, didn't we? Come out on good, didn't he get better on Good Friday? <sighs> I saw someone yes. saying, now this is a Good Friday. It's like, that isn't what, Good Friday wasn't the good one. 
He right, I believe somebody actually tweeted he. I'm sorry, right? Okay, I've got like I don't think it's too conspiratorial to suggest that uh, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, Mm -hmm. who has a kind of let's say a postmodern or at least a stab at a postmodernist media profile, like everybody constantly talks about how useless he is and yet he comes through and everybody talks about how he's trying to be Churchill or mm-hmm. trying to, mm-hmm. I, um, to, to, to portray that image. Nobody buys it. And yet he reaps all the, all the benefits from it. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry. He went, he got ill. He went into apparently ICU where there was a lot of disagreements about whether he was on a ventilator or not. Mm. After four days, he was released, and he happened to be released on, I believe it was Monday. Yeah. So he got ill for a certain amount of time, plus his partner's expecting. Now, if you're not telling me that that is some combination Christian Easter resurrection <laughs> and pagan fertility like right, if he's not trying to appeal to some kind of emotional, non-rational part of the brain, which we know fascists do anyway... If that's not that, if there's not even an inkling of that, I just don't believe it. I, well, I, is, I do not believe he was he was sick. I honestly believe he was ducking um, the worst that like the worst of the questioning as it has been so far, which frankly hasn't really been that rough on them. Well, no, not as rough as it needs to be. The thing is, it's um, with Boris. It's hard to believe anything he says because he does have a close relationship with lying that he does with any of his children. <laughs> Um, so like I, I, I work for, from a point of, I don't believe him. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out, I don't think, I think he probably had it because he's, he was touching everybody and licking everybody's faces because he can't help himself. (laughs) But, um, so delicious. I, I wouldn't surprise me if he had it in the same way that I had it, like pretty mild and then hid because, you know, he has form for fucking hiding. Where was he during the London riots? Do you mean it's like, it's that kind of thing. But not where was he? He was where was he? He was on holiday for the first few weeks of his like, premiership, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's yeah. You know, he's always. Like but that. it's that that, but that attempt it's... to make that attempt to make somebody uh, that remote mm-hmm. that then plays into a kind of hero resurrection myth. Yeah, that's that's myth making. That's that's a that's consciously crafted um, media strategy, mm. like. He's not he's not the up close and personal type, despite the fact that he's the like, have I got news for you candidate? He's mm. up close, he's always on your screen, you know what he looks like, you can do an impression of him. Yeah. All I'm saying is that that Boris impersonator that was with Madalena Kay last year yeah. or the year before has replaced him. Uh, Boris Johnson <laughs> is dead and buried in an old oak tree, <laughs> hoping that the juices of Britain resurrect him, and until then Old uh, May has fucked it up. Uh, guy is replacing him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I can see that. I don't, yeah, that seems believable. Or we pay way too much attention to pagan fertility rights and myths. <laughs> that being said, maybe, I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible to pay too much attention to that shit. Because well, look, you know full well that if you bury the... someone in a tree, something good happens. Okay, well, look at when the lockdown ends. Mm. When is his baby due? Okay, look, if they do something as obvious yeah. as 
like lockdown ends with the birth of a star child with, with the, the Johnson with surname. With the birth of the star child, I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, if that happens, then I'll fully believe, you watch. I'll fully be on board with your theory. It will. Okay, it will. It might not time up exactly, hmm. but I guarantee you here now. The birth of his birth. child and Not... his his marriage and the birth of his child will feature prominently in a post-lockdown narrative spun out by every paper in this country. And his birth and will every, take every, place every, not in a hospital, but in the centre of Stonehenge. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I can, uh, yeah, I can see that. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's like... what's The main thing that I've been seeing on the news in the last like week or two with Corona is just like, Oh yeah, so we've got we're doing the worst, other than America, obviously. But, yeah. Um, but you know, well, on the plus side, America are doing really badly now, but their economy is going to like like properly zoom to the moon, seeing as Vince McMahon's going to be fucking advising. Is he going to hijack all the like the? Is he going to like look at all the up and coming promising businessmen around the world and try and like set up USA UK? <laughs> If he was, if he was gonna, if he, if he doesn't get inaugurated into whatever official position he's gonna go in, um, because he couldn't run for Senate, could he? Because he's got a criminal record. He, does that stop you from? Was that why? Does that, no, uh, I, I, I think. I wonder whether that stopped him, or it, maybe it, if it didn't officially stop him, it certainly informally stopped him. Yeah. Given that the most association of Vince McMahon that people have in their brains is as a huckster. Yeah. Yeah. An unscrupulous huckster, because that's who he's been playing on telly for the last. Oh, mind you, Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So yeah, that that's going to be. Entertaining. Yeah, if he doesn't get officially like, annoyed. Okay, so we had like. If he... So we had like everything that happened with Corbyn, and he's gone now, and now we've got Sir Haircut. Um, and then America, you know, Bernie pulls out and then endorses Biden like a fucking twat. Um. And yeah. so, so we're going to have the Biden Trump debates, which are going to be fucking hilarious. But the Biden Trump yeah. debates happening while Vince McMahon is saying, "What is, is he going to do? Announcements? Is he going to cut promos?" <laughs> America screwed America. <laughs> if he doesn't get inaugurated by um, dressing up in a purple velvet robe, pulling it back, and going, "It was me, America. It was me all along." <laughs> <laughs> he did it to shut down XFL quick. He did. He released the Rona to shut down XFL quicker, so he'd stop sinking money into it. <laughs> but yeah, that's, the yeah. main thing I've been seeing is like, yeah, death rate going up, and the fact that we're being really cagey about how many people have died. Um, yeah. because we're not including people who died at home or people who died in care homes, um, and shit like that. And then the uh, government they're, they're are talking also things like, well, our country is different. We have different, pop- we know we've got population densities that are different to other countries. Like, yeah, Paris is more dense than London. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does have, there's a certain um, amount of equivocation, which I think got picked up and then dropped um, about exactly what people are dying from. So it's possible yeah. that they're being recorded of dying for from other reasons or from pneumonia or whatever, rather yeah. than rather than corona but um this yeah. country the the governments of this country benefit so much from the fact that virtually no one here understands a foreign language so can't yeah. actually see what's going on in other countries and has no interest in it also i think he, i think at this point even if they did um they wouldn't they wouldn't credence it it's like it would be a it wouldn't work here yeah 
You know what I mean? There's yeah. a certain there's a certain level of exceptionalism. And again, I've already seen the articles been written that this is what like, but mainly by fubpy people that this is what puts paid to Britain British exceptionalism. And it's like, no, it doesn't. No, it absolutely does. It's like a it's like the psychology around a bombing campaign. Mm. Bombing campaigns against civilian populations hardens support for the existing regime rather than, as posited, undermines it. It yeah. happened in every bombing campaign, the Blitz, Iraq, yeah. uh, wherever you choose to, uh, Vietnam, you know, wherever you choose to, to, to name. It, it's, it's something that won't die. Like, mm-hmm. it, won't, it, it, it won't... That kind of exceptionalism needs people to engage in a more realistic way with what's happening around them. And we live in, like, TV land, yeah. where most of the, the interaction, even with people in the same country, different parts of the country, is mediated through TV or the media, itself, like the news media. So yeah. I, I'm not surprised at all, <laughs> really, that... That people haven't, you know, aren't out on the streets. I mean, people might be out on the streets when everybody loses their job in the recorded, like the approximate fifteen percent downturn in GDP. Yeah, that's going to happen. Well, but the thing that's going to, you know, the thing that I'm looking forward to is after all of this is over and we get more like a really, really mega austerity, and they say it's yeah. because of all the money they spent on. Um, on looking after people during during this this crisis, and it turns out, and it actually turns out, they haven't really paid that much money anyway. Yeah. Um. And it's by the end, it's going to be a surprisingly small amount of money, and I bet you all that money did not go to people. Yeah, I need to look at like comparative population, like and demographics and things, to see how many of the middle class were phased out in two thousand ten, because this is going to be worse than the. Um, this is going to be worse than uh, the austerity after the financial crisis. Yeah, and the financial crisis was largely like it was home home ownership that it really hit. And you'd never really heard those stories after the first couple of months. Yeah. And I'd be interested to see how much because things in this country stop when the middle class get annoyed with the vague exception of, of Brexit. And even that was a huge, huge deal for years and years. Yeah. So... What what at what point does austerity reach up so far that the middle class and the bourgeois start getting uh, it starts harming them and you actually see something happen? Yeah, you know oh, the amount of um oh there's like because you know there's um if you're if you're self employed and yeah. I've got family members who do this in laws who they are self employed and they're on their own and they are they register themselves as a, as like a limited company. And then they pay themselves virtually no money, and then they yeah. pay they pay they realistically pay themselves through dividends to yeah, avoid yeah. paying taxes. The amount of yeah. people I've heard on the radio literally phoning up to complain how the um, money to self-employed people is not properly catered to them. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's just yeah. oh it's delicious because I've always thought it's fucking scumbag behaviour, um, <laughs> but. It's interesting to see how many people who are traditionally massive Tories, um, but you know they're not going to vote fucking Labour um, because you've seen how they're fucking re- respond. You've seen the responses to Keir Starmer's leadership so far, and it's been yeah. a whole bunch of Tories saying "fuck him, he's disgusting," <laughs> or he's um, yeah, he let he um he didn't prosecute Jimmy Savile. That was like on day one. Yep, day one. It, it, of course, it was, and he's his first like great like. Literally hours after people saying, "Finally, 
a decent opposition that can hold the government to account. And his first action was to say that the government were correcting everything. Yeah, and, and now all he's done is about when push the narrative of when the, when the lockdown ends. Yeah, yeah I, I don't... Well, there's, there's no strategy behind it, but and yeah, it's... Uh, no, there is a strategy. It's 100%. That, this strategy of, um, of what he's doing has been... Um, it's been focus-grouped, um, probably from the same kind of people that Change UK focused, did focus-grouping convincing, on. Convincing middle-class Tories that they're one of them. Yeah. That they're not a danger. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully... Hopefully, they shift over to them yeah. for some unspecified reason, despite actually not really giving them anything and screwing any working class support they might have. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, yeah, whatever. No. So the main thing we wanted to talk about this week was the thing that's everywhere, which is the leaked Labour report into it's everywhere anti-Semitism. Apart from on the news. <laughs> yeah. So it's... um. It was leaked last week, I think. Yeah. Um, I actually I found a site where it was actually posted in the middle of March, so I don't know if, oh. if that was incorrect or if it was leaked earlier than that or if it wasn't the final version. I know it got but, leaked um, to the Canary or Squawk Box. Or yeah. Those, yeah. Which is a good um, look, to be honest. Uh, so this was introduced to me as this was an internal report and it was, I think, originally going to be sent to the EHRC um, investigation into the Labour Party, yep. but then it was decided that it, it wasn't going to. It was just for internal use, yep. and some beautiful angel uh, decided to to release it, and it is pretty much all that's been on my timeline for the last three days. And um, Keir Starmer had it a week before it got leaked. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I read. Um which... Yeah, I mean, again, it wouldn't necessarily be, if we're pretending to be proper here, yeah. um, it wouldn't necessarily be um, out of the ordinary that he had it, because, it, again, it was it was internal, it wasn't intended for publication or anything like that, so... Yeah, but then he didn't do anything about it, and, yeah. it's, and it's horrible. Well, yeah, there we go. It's, yeah. uh, and the, and only, and like, ha- the what you could look at is, and um, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is why one of the reasons it got leaked, but the, room, the thing about him wanting to have, um, was it Emily Oldno? To be old now, yeah, yeah. To be general secretary, yeah. Um, after um, Jenny Formby, yeah. And oh, if... I know all the names now. I know all. I know all the fucking disciplinary processes <laughs> and all the names and, of maybe twelve people specifically. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. Okay, let's go. Yeah, um, so I you read, read all the of whole it. thing. <laughs> I read eight. It's eight hundred and fifty pages. I say read it. That would be a kind way of saying I skimmed it for the best quotes, but. Um, <laughs> I've tried to like narrow it down. There's quite a lot because I mainly wanted to read it because I wanted to see exactly what happened with anti-Semitism. Yeah. There was so much demoralizing stuff. Every six months, I'd say there would be a really bad thing. Like mm. somebody would try and make like mainly people on the left feel ex- incredibly bad about the sit the state of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Right? Mm. Yeah, it was, it was impossible to get. Waves. Yeah, it was it was impossible to get a real a real bearing, and I, I actually yeah. wanted to read it because I wanted to know like like how bad was it? Like what 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 was it that? And how did how did it feel like nothing was happening? How did it feel like even if they were really draconian, which I, you know I wouldn't necessarily agree with, but even if they like anybody who even mentioned Israel or Palestine yeah. were just auto suspended, even if that had happened, you would physically see something happening but all you got from most of the media was this sense that nothing was happening that 
all of this stuff was just going on and you know there were anti-semites everywhere and yeah. like not for one minute did you think that any any of the people around Corbyn were, were enabling it or, or not taking it seriously. But that kind of messaging, you're you're only human and you are a post cap like a late capitalist human. Hmm. You are subject to media narratives as much as anybody. Like you wouldn't feel those feelings if it wasn't having some impact on you, right? Yeah. So I felt like I really had to had to read this to to think. And wow, it's um it's interesting. I will say before I really go into it that it's an internal labor report. Um, it appears to have been um, commissioned by Jenny Formby. If you believe, if you, if you, if you're a bad faith Corbyn person, you would automatically believe that this would be, you know, biased and selective and trying to get them off the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the weight of evidence, the weight of emails directly quoted, mm-hmm. um, puts certain things certainly beyond all doubt. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I've seen a, a quite a narrative picking up two dual narratives of either this report doesn't matter yeah. um, by people who said that it was desperately important to uh, get a handle on anti-Semitism within the Labour Party. It yeah. was absolutely vital to all of British society and democracy that this be public, transparent, open um, and, and, and completed as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. who are now saying, this is a distraction. This is an unnecessary. We don't need to look at this. Yeah. Also, the idea that, again, that kind of background thing that you can't trust anything from the Corbynite left, yeah. um, to which I say, like, well, yeah, maybe it will be selective, but the numbers are here. You can dispute the numbers and say they're lies, but, I mean, they are here. Also, that's, the other thing I think is, like, kind of... is that um, the, like our typical Labour Party talking about themselves and not really doing anything important when you know we're in a, mm-hmm. a moment of national crisis and there's all this, all the, there's you know Corona everywhere, and it's like the people mm-hmm. talking about this. Do you think these people are fucking nurses and doctors? Do you think they like if they weren't talking about this, they'd be busy work. They they would be down but the I hospital was... doing work. They're not. They these you know this is. <laughs> I seem to remember this being. Doing? I seem to be remember this being more important than any other policy instrument. Like, okay, that's that's fine. Why not now then? Mm-hmm. Okay, like you know, if it's that important, it's like Jewish people aren't as important as Corona victims. I, I don't yeah. understand that. There's also that a lot of calculation. Um, yeah, there's a lot of um, other racism in this report as well, isn't there? Yeah, there is some, yeah. Um, but I, I will, I will I'll launch into it now. Yeah. Okay. So the first section is uh, that they present is on factionalism. Now you could say this is a way of kind of introducing you to the people that they would like to, the Labour Party would like to, to kind of focus on for, for this report, yeah. shift blame, however you want to do it. But um, it's a kind of way of introducing you to the the attitude in in Labour HQ towards um, Corbynists, mm. Corbyn and Corbynists generally. Um, so I'll start. Uh, the attitude in HQ towards the leader of the opposition's office could be summed up in one comment from a senior staff member who said that death by fire is too kind for the leader of the opposition. Labour officials, including senior staff, expressed hostility towards Jeremy Corbyn and his staff, towards Labour MPs, including Andy Burnham, Ed Miliband, Sadiq Khan, Emily Thornbury, Diane Abbott and Dawn Butler. Staff described most of the PLP as, quote, trots, or called them, quote, totally useless in 2015 for not having yet launched a coup against Corbyn. As one staff member commented, everyone here considers anyone left of Gordon Brown to be a trot. Senior staff commented that the huge rallies for Corbyn late in the 2017 election made them, quote, feel ill, and they reacted to the polls narrowing with dismay rather than optimism. 
The director of govern the governance and legal unit, John Stoddard, we'll be hearing a lot about him, <laughs> described his work in GLU as political fixing and described overhauling selections of parliamentary candidates and overturning CLP AGM results to help the right of the party. <laughs> Emily Oldno and GLU staff discussed keeping Angela Eagle's CLP suspended at Eagle's request in order to give her team more time to organise against left-wing members before the AGM. Staff also discussed organising NEC youth representative elections on a different election election cycle to other NEC elections to ensure a left-wing candidate would not win, and noticed this was signed off by the GLU's director. That would be John Stolliday. Huh. On the 15th of June 2015, head of press and broadcasting Joe Green called Corbyn that fucking trot and suggested to Acting Director of Policy and Political Research, Simon Jackson, that, quote, anyone who nominates Corbyn to widen the debate deserves to be taken out and shot. Jackson agreed. <laughs> Harriet Harbour. Quite. Uh, <laughs> uh, if the left can't get on the ballot, it shows they're moribund. Putting them there only validates the views. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, that's a, like, that's a very different attitude to the, that they have to fucking Nazis. That is all about <laughs> oh, widening yeah. debate. <laughs> On the 20th of July 2015, Head of Political Strategy Greg Cooked described a Labour MP as being, quote, such a trot now, to which Joe Green responded, yep, like most of the PLP, it seems. Green said to Jackson that Andy Burnham just panders to what members want. He'll be a total disaster. The PLP is a joke now, full of people unable and unwilling to be sensible. Mm-hmm. That's so, so sensible. Uh, Simon Jackson uh, said to colleagues with a potential snap general election. Ultimately, though, who votes for JC? If it's a choice between him and T-May, how do we vote for him? I mean, we're not fucking mad. Um, he then he then also said in 2015 that Ian Duncan Smith was shit, but the bad thing is he's better than most of our shadow cabinet. The shadow cabinet was then a broad unity shadow cabinet in which only four MPs were supporters of Corbyn. Fucking hell. <laughs> On the 13th of August 2015, meanwhile, Ali Musavi, economic advisor in the leader's office, and Sarah Brown, press officer, discussed hanging and burning Jeremy Corbyn. This is from a, an instant message that was uh, put up on the, in the report. Uh, Musavi says, Jeremy Corbyn could end up being like Savonarola, a fanatic priest who deposed the Medicis in a wave of theocratic populism, who was then shortly after deposed himself for making Florence a boring place. That's a remarkable view of that incident. I just like the, um, I like the idea of who now still stands the Majicis. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the it's the Borgia, surely. Um, <laughs> but it's like, oh you know, everyone's gotta have a side in the different robber baron princes of ancient it like was it Florence? Are they around Florence? Florence, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ugh. He was like he was a, he was an early like Puritan, so he like burned all the symbols of decadence and things like that. And There's a lot was of that then in Florence. for quote making Florence a boring place. It's like I think it was for the people he was burning it was maybe a bit more yeah a bit more accurate. Yeah. Um. He, he went on. Jeremy like might last even fewer days than Savonarola did. Man, Jez is Savonarola in so many ways, but we need to finish him. Sarah Brown replied, hanging and burning does seem like overkill. I am going to go read about Savonarola. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mulholland, 
some of these I've only got second names. I okay. couldn't be asked to go back on track. Um, PLP Secretary Mulholland mm -hmm. was the main liaison between MPs and the Labour Party. In February 2017, she said, Diane Abbott literally makes me sick. In the same WhatsApp group, senior staff discussed Abbott crying in the toilets and telling Michael Crick, a Channel 4 reporter at the time, where she was. Patrick Hennigan says, Abbott found crying in the loos. Julie Lawrence, sad face. Tracy Allen, Abbott Memorial Cupboard works well. Patrick Hennigan, Diane in Leon on Vic Street. Fiona Stanton, shall we tell Michael Crick? Patrick Hennigan, already have. Fuck. Charming. So fucking charming. Oh. Like, it's, it's, it's like, it feels tired to say, like, just how yeah. much abuse Diane Abbott gets. Like, it feels like, it's, like people say it a lot. But she really does. It's fucking I'd like to revolting. point out, uh, Patrick Hennigan stood down as, I think it was Labour head of campaigns, mm -hmm. to go and be the head of People's Vote. Huh. He was then he then stepped down from People's Vote because he had three um, harassment allegations against him. <laughs> However, that then got dropped because it was discovered that uh, the faction in People's Vote, led by Alistair Campbell and Peter Mandelson, were digging around to try and find um, dirt on people, and no evidence was ever present presented against Hennigan at the like uh, tribunal about uh, harassment allegations. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, Labour staff expressed opposition to the policy programme, not just of Jeremy Corbyn, but also of Labour's 2015 manifesto under Ed Miliband. Um, Ed Miliband of, and Andy... The controls of the immigration Edstone stuff. Yep. Um, Ed Miliband and Andy Burnham were considered to be too far to the left. I remember that at the time, that, that people would say that, and it would make me... Like, yeah, you remember... ...feel sick. Red Ed... Yeah, I remember them saying yep. it, but you know, it's like you'd you'd like to hope that maybe Labour Party staffers don't have the same political views as you know the front page of the Sun. But you know, here we are. <laughs> uh, on the fifteenth of September two thousand fifteen, Dan Hogan, who later became an investigations officer in the GLU, we will hear more from him later, <laughs> commented that a Labour campaign for an EU referendum makes a change from Trident rail renationalisation and landlord bashing. He also opposed John McDonnell calling for corporation tax to go up. In one of his messages, he says, brace yourself, Amy, uh, McDonnell just called for corporation tax to go up. And in response, Amy Fowler said, you're kidding me, dot, 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 I can't quite believe it. Really? I know you, can't, you can't believe that a politician would propose that an existing thing should be <laughs> tweaked. Hmm. What, are you, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, Similar critiques of Labour Party policy were made by uh, other people in the party, in Labour HQ. On the 27th of April 2016, Colette Collins-Walsh, Education Policy Officer, and James McBride discussed a Conservative Party critique of left-wing economics. Brace yourself for this. So uh, Colette Collins-Walsh shares this um, ManchesterConservatives.com article about why we should be incredulous towards economic statism. She said, finally, higher taxes, do, tax rates do not necessarily yield more revenues because they reduce incentives to work. What Corbyn fails to understand is that the UK is actually becoming more equal. James McBride agrees. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like, if the UK is becoming more equal under the Tories, right? 2016, that's mm. six years into Tory administration. Yeah. What do they need you for? Yeah. Like, what are you there for? If there's nothing wrong with what the Conservatives are doing, why are you bothering? Go and 
go and make loads of money somewhere else. Yeah, I just—it's a recurring thing that um, that constantly happened with Corbyn. Of like, Corbyn doesn't understand this because you know he's like some kind of ivory tower intellectual living in metropolitan um, Islington, which has absolutely no understanding of poverty. As if he's and like, there seems to be either, either there's you could be generous and say that they misunderstand Angel. They misunderstand Islington and, and all they understand is going to one small bit of Angel or yeah. they're just liars. Well, it's 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 always the, the two sides of everything, isn't it? Because, uh, yeah, Jeremy Corbyn is an ivory tower intellectual with no connection to the world, but he's also like a grubby third worldist Marxist. Exactly. Yeah. You know, he's also stupid yeah. at the same time. And, and again, showing that he, showing that footage of him going into Parliament with um, Diane Abbott and I've forgotten his name, the black male mp uh birdie grant yeah um yeah and like and oh god i can't remember what it was was talking about the way he was like fawning and simpering behind them or something like that oh yeah it was it was his biographer we mentioned it in our year in yeah. wars didn't we yeah um yeah and it was you know it was basically assumed that he'd somehow like caught anti-imperialism as some kind of virus yeah yeah in contact with non-white people mm-hmm. remarkable scenes really yeah. was um, on the 29th of July, Simon Jackson, head of, poli- uh, head of research and head of policy development, Anushka Gregorek, discussed their opposition to the policy platform of Owen Smith, the rival to Jeremy Corbyn in the 2016 leadership election. Gregorek said, I'm hoping it's a genius plan to pretend that these are uh, about Owen Smith. I'm pr- hoping it's a genius plan to pretend these are his policies. And then when enough people have voted for him, he just quietly sheds the policies as they poll badly. Mm-hmm. Simon Jackson responded, well, yes, the only thing that matters is winning. But uh, the thing about Owen is he thinks he should be PM. He really does. He doesn't realise he's shit. He'd be another Ed. Because <laughs> um, yeah, you remember, that like, Owen, Owen Smith was, Smith. like, he was catching up with, uh, like, trying to adopt some left platforms. Yeah, yeah. Left policy platforms. Yeah. Because, yeah, I remember, um, I remember another leadership contender recently doing that. <laughs> <laughs> unsuccessfully probably i don't know i just know it's polls badly um on the 14th of march 2017 catherine bramwell communications officer for southeast region said i hate the trots i hate the trots i hate them times a million and claimed that the idea of rail nationalization was not popular in the southeast of england all it looks like is trots doing what trots do (laughs) yeah i'm i'm I'm, like they use that word a lot they use they seem yeah. to use that word more than Stalinists, I know. Oh yeah, because the I think they're reaching back to the to era of militant. Yeah, like that's their that's their frame of reference. They just, and I mean, if trot, they're too they young to have been, yeah, if they're too young in that period, because yeah. they use it in the same way that some people on the Labour left use Stalinist, and it, it's more like a a procedural thing. It's like a tactical thing rather yeah. than necessarily being a follower of Trotsky or Stalin. Yeah, but it's it, it's. I don't even know what it, oh, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> um, during the 2017 general election, General Secretary Ian McNichol responded to the announcement of a policy of free school meals with ridicule. This is from an instant message. Mm-hmm. McNichol, I believe in this policy, always have, but for very different reasons. If you go to a private school, you get school meals. All the teachers have to sit with the pupils and they are taught how to eat, etc., etc. Tracy Allen then responded, we should get them all to do their BMI before they go around criticising poor people. I agree with the policy, but 
uh, quote, poor kids are just as likely to be skinny from bad nutrition and don't grow. McNichol. Next, we will be saying most poor people are criminals and the best way to reduce future offending is by forced castration. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's that thing of like looking for any particular framing to undermine like a universalist policy. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's, that thing about like um, in public school, the, the teachers eat with the um, students and um, we our teachers ate with us at our school um, and mm. I think they do it in the very they they did it at our school in a similar way to people like what I've heard from public about public school from people I know, which is they do eat with the pupils, but literally at a top table looking down on everyone at a high table looking down from you from my crystal staircase yeah like um at Lily's yeah. um college in oxford they the um the tutors do it um and there where they eat is in a literal chapel and they sit up near the altar do <laughs> <laughs> uh. they just feast on the host <laughs> yes <laughs> just Please. bread and wine oh, um yeah like, uh, like Labour Party, oh, I, I, I hear he was like, well, you know, like in public schools, like, what are you doing at the Labour Party? Fuck off. <laughs> um, on 2017, seniors, in 20, May 2017, senior staff wrote how they could not understand leader of the opposition's decision to oppose the widely panned dementia tax. Tracy Allen again said, I know I am not a strategist or policy person, but am I totally missing something here? Why aren't the trots in favour of rich people paying more towards social care and not getting winter fuel allowance? Oh my god. <laughs> it's like that notoriously popular policy. Yeah. The dementia tax, which pretty much sunk an entire election for the Tories. Yeah. Which is a, a rare thing. They don't usually slip up quite like that. Yeah. Hitting their main people. Hmm. In May 2017, after the Westminster Bridge attack, James McBride, a staff member in Labour's policy unit leading on economy and business policy, shared a clip of right-wing Islamophobic commentator Douglas Murray on BBC Daily Politics, saying that all political parties were refusing to confront the reality that terrorism comes from the religion of Islam. McBride commented on this, saying, find it difficult to disagree with this. We can't ignore the fact that while one might be more typically quote, terrorist behaviour, they still derive from the same ideology. And Western liberal ideology is reluctant to take it on and expose its roots, which inevitably involves hard questions, even for so-called moderate Islam. Ooh. That's like, that's, that's just a, con that's just a far-right conservative platform. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like, ev like, I know that there are some, like, conservatives who would even bought from saying that. Yeah. But not, you know, World War, Labour. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of the revelations that I found really sh shocking, but also, yeah, of course, that happened. Labour HQ operated a secret key seats team based in Labour's London regional office in Ergen House, from where a parallel 2017 general election campaign was set to support MPs associated with the right wing of the party. So there's some messages about this. Um, Catherine Bramwell saying, there is a secret key seats team arriving in Ergen House permanently. Stephanie Driver. Ooh, interesting on the key seats team. Who will be part of it? Catherine Bramwell. Lots of secret meetings going on here. I think it's all secret to the leader of the opposition's office. I'll let you know, but I think it's a brand new team moving in on Sunday. Driver. Hmm. Brill, I endorse this plan and will keep said plan very much to myself. Hmm. So that happened. Yeah. Uh, they poured money and resources. There is one bit. I didn't know it down because it was kind of complicated. There were gaps in the printing budgets of about a hundred thousand pounds that was funneled to this secret team well there was um, um where 
they underspent on certain things and funded it into um like Tom Watson's seat. Yeah. And other other MPs associated with the right of the party. Well there's um in two thousand fifteen they were broke. They were like almost broke mm. before they before mm. Ed Miliband changed the rules of the membership. And then yeah. they become then then they suddenly had loads of money and it's nice to see they immediately were like, Yay, left winger money, we'll spend it on what we want to spend it on. <laughs> Um, as we mentioned, the rallies were very disappointing to this lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, by May 2017, the Labour campaign was energised and Jeremy Corbyn's rallies had become bigger and bolder. To be fair, Birkenhead everyone hates rally- Labour placards, especially Labour Party workers. <laughs> well, in Birkenhead, a rally filled a football stadium with activists and supporters joining from across the region. A video of the rally gained over 600,000 views on Twitter. Senior staff at Labour HQ said it was making them feel ill and that people in the region must have gone a bit loopy. Uh, this speech is astonishing on so many levels. It's so woefully written, intellectually incoherent, factually inaccurate, and devoid of any attempt to be constructive or analytical. It is, in effect, a Donald Trump speech. It's easy to forget that only yesterday morning they were briefing that they would be easing back into the campaign slowly and not doing anything political. I despise these people more than ever. (laughs) They also said, I actually felt quite sick when I saw that YouGov poll last night. Uh, Not that I think we will end up there or probably anywhere near. Um, and I shall tell you why. It is a peak, and the polling was done after the Manchester attack. So with a bit of luck, yeah, now I remember, yeah, that speech was the one where he said that um, British foreign policy had a role to play in the Manchester attack, yeah. right? And it was the thing where everyone said, oh, he's finished now, and then it turned out most people agreed with him. Yeah, and the, blo- um, and the, the Manchester attack was done by a guy who'd been to Libya. Um, yeah, and who'd been let back into the country by Theresa May Yeah, when she was Home Secretary. Yeah. yeah. Um, The polling was done after the Manchester attack, so with a bit of luck, this speech will show a clear polling decline, and we shall all be able to point to how disgusting they truly are. Now, obviously, we know it was never real, but isn't that the point in politics? Hmm. Another person comes in with, my fears are that, A, the speech won't go down as badly as it deserves to, thanks to the large groundswell of ill-informed opposition to all Western interventions. Wow. And B, they will use that poll to claim they were on course to win and then Manchester happened. And whether or not JC goes, lots of the membership will buy that argument. Like after the referendum, when they distorted the polling and claimed we had overtaken the Tories before the coup happened. If this speech cuts through, as I think it may, it will harden normal people against us. Definitely. In the face of a terror attack, normal people do not blame foreign intervention. They blame immigration. What's more, all they will hear is we don't want to. Yep, normal people. All they will hear is we don't want to respond strongly. We want peace with ISIS. It all pays into a bigger picture of how they see Corbyn. I have a fit, so I have a feeling this will cut through. You are right on the second point. It has to be up to the MPs, though, to demonstrate how toxic he is on the doorstep. But this speech, but that this speech particularly was toxic, and Manchester had happened when that poll was in the field. So, yeah. Again, nothing we didn't really know because, like, it happened in front of our eyes mm. in 2017. We saw Labour MPs repeatedly briefing on how um, Jeremy Corbyn was a bad man yeah. and how how bad it was on the doorstep. Mm. Um, when discussing the final well att- the well attended when discussing the well attended final rally of the campaign in the Union Chapel in Islington, staff joked about potential violence against Labour members and supporters and the use of water cannons and truncheons to knock some trots. Wow. We got V close to the police to the police stopping the event. There are four police SWATs here. 
Uh, Patrick Henneker replied, oh my god. Could you imagine that? If they'd sent in fucking um, water cannons and the police in to a rally at a fucking church. John Stolliday said, truncheons out, lads, let's knock some trots. Patrick Hennigan replied, water cannons, please. (laughs) So, yeah. um, The report then goes into talking about the membership purge that happened in 2016. Oh, the one about one um, people, main, who vote, people who like said something nice about people the people who on Facebook. like, re, yeah, basically. Um, one main means this uh, one. One way this vetting targeted the left was through the list of search terms, banned words, and phrases prepared by staff, including John Stolliday. Again, we'll get more onto him, and loaded into a uh, case system on the first of July, twenty sixteen. As well as more general search terms, this included a list of fifty seven later 68, Labour MPs and their Twitter handles. Contents would be flagged if the MP, only those MPs, or their Twitter handle appeared alongside any of 16 abusive or rude words, ranging from traitor, scum, to bellend, twat, and shit. Rather than a general list of prominent MPs or MPs who had been particular targets of abuse, this uh, 57 MPs was principally a list of MPs associated with the Labour right and or the then move against Corbyn, such as the resignations from the shadow cabinet. There was a particular focus on people being called traitors, which given the context of Labour MPs resigning en masse from the shadow cabinet would target the Labour left. Terms of abuse or criticism were typically levelled at the left, meanwhile, morons, idiots, incompetent, absent. Fair play. Fair play. <laughs> Um, um, Even the supposedly equivalent broad terms used, Blairite and Corbynite, combined with terms of abuse, were not at all equivalent. Blairite was a long-standing term widely used in the political lexicon, while the term Corbynite was rarely used derisively. The more derisive Corbynista, being favoured by critics, was not caught in these searches. Yeah. Um, On the 5th of July, five days after this started... The systems admin noticed that newer members seemed to me like the most likely to be posting things like Blairite scum, and that nearly 4% of new joiners searched were being flagged. Sam Matthews, we'll hear um, a lot about him later on, Mm -hmm. Sam Matthews remarked, and Chilcot hasn't even happened yet. Quote, uh, what we're expecting post-Chilcot, a lot of abuse of pro-war MPs, an influx of anti-war angry people, depends on what Corbyn says, I guess. That was Richard Shakespeare, the guy who set up the system. Yeah. Sam Matthews responded, I have no idea, but I can't imagine it will be good. Uh, Shakespeare added that in a few weeks they could rescan the new members to pick up post-Chilcot and newer bits. The terms war criminal were subsequently added as a banned phrase. And on the 18th of August, Matthews even told a colleague that rather than simply being a political opinion about, for example, MPs who take money from Saudi Arabia and the arms industry and support Saudi Arabia's brutal war in Yemen, calling someone a warmonger was generally in itself enough to act against members. In July, a range of further banned phrases were also added to this list, such as Red Tory, Pseudo Tory, Undercover Blairite, Backstabber, Tory Light, Class Traitor, Timpot Tory, and Tory Smith. Okay. Uh, These were all forms of abuse or criticism that could be directed at the party's right. Equivalent terms for abuse or criticism in the other direction, such as communist, terrorist, militant, were not included. Even the term Bitterite, used by John Prescott to describe Britta Blairites, was included, while Traitor Smith, crowdfund Corbyn, appeared without any equivalent for Corbyn. Uh, for example, Traitor Corbyn and crowdfund yeah. Smith. 
Yeah. Um, on the 12th of August, NEC member Alice Perry expressed her concern about this, about some of the people G- the GLU had flagged. That's the governance and legal unit. Yeah. Uh, Caroline King said, quote, her Facebook likes are fine. Very similar to a lot. She was talking about. Sorry, let me start that again. Um, she was talking about a particular member. Who was talking about this? Facebook likes. Uh, this is NEC member Alice Perry. Okay. Uh, sorry, was talking about this. Uh, her Facebook likes are fine, very similar to lots of members of the Labour Party. We can't block people just because they like the people as People's Assembly and UK Uncut. I wouldn't consider these to be far left either, and I've spent the last few weeks looking at proper far left, left unity and TUSC tweets and blogs. Hmm. A 21st of August 2015 list of 238 rejected members included someone who retweeted Class War, retweeted the National Action... Retweeted the National Health Action Party and appears to have been a supporter of them. Someone with a pattern of retweeting Green Party material and expressing support, and somebody who retweeted a Mark Thomas tweet saying, "Dear Labour, get fucked," after their abstention on a welfare bill which was opposed by many Labour members. Yeah. Now, this zealot. Zealous attitude didn't apply to Labour right MPs, celebrities or journalists. On the 18th of April 2017, Emily Oldno, exec director of the GLU, said regarding Simon Danjuk that they would, quote, unsuspend him and let him stand. Tracy Allen said in an IM, Danjuk confirmed he wants to stand as a Labour Party candidate. Stoller's now picking this up. I'm assuming that's John Stolliday. Oldno, yes, I think we just unsuspend him and let him stand. Patrick okay. Hennigan agreed. Okay, so remind us why Simon Danjuk was suspended. Simon Danjuk was suspended for what was he? It was sexual harassment, harassment of a teenager, I believe. of a minor, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, I don't know if it was a minor, but it's definitely a teenager. I feel like there was something to do with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, in addition, after com- complaints about Rod Little over mm-hmm. transphobic and Islamophobic contents. Remember, Rod Little was a Labour member up until, like, 2016. Yeah, and now he's a member um, of the, um, the, S- the SDLP. Is he really? Yeah, I think so. Um, the GLU proposed suspending him and wrote to the leader of the opposition's office to let them know, as Rod Little was a journalist in a high-profile case. Leader of the opposition's office agreed with the proposed suspension. However, the GLU's director then informed the executive director of governance, membership and party services that, quote, apparently Rod Little is chummy with Ian Austin and by extension Tom Watson and suggested they sit on it for now rather than suspend immediately. Old No then sent this to the Labour uh, leader of the opposition's chief of staff, Simon Fletcher, noting that she wanted to send it to him first as Little was a journalist. Hmm. It doesn't surprise uh, me at all that Rod Little's friends of Ian Austin. Yeah, it's a very, very odd thing. So, yeah, um, a lot of those people kind of resigned as 2017 and 2018 went on. As I said, Patrick Hennigan, uh, head of campaigns for Labour, went on to run People's Vote. And John Stolliday, who, again, I say we'll be hearing a lot more about him, uh, went on to be head of communications for People's Vote. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, so then we have come to the anti-Semitism bit. That takes this takes up the majority of the uh, of the report. It's quite in depth. It's quite bureaucracy. Luckily, I love admin. So <laughs> I love admin and workflows. I can't get enough of them. Uh, so yeah, this is fine to me. But I don't know. <laughs> I'll try and make it. I'll try and make it not terrible. Yeah. Um, so the main 
body within the Labour Party that dealt with anti-Semitism complaints was the Governance and Legal Unit. Yep. So just a brief overview of, of what they did and who they were. Um, Emily Oldno uh, was formerly thought to be General Secretary Ian McNichol's chosen successor, was the Exec Director of the GLU. Under John, her was John... Wife, wife of Jonathan Ashworth. Indeed. Um, under her was John Stolliday, who was Director of Governance and Legal, um, with Sam Matthews as Head of Disputes, Dan Hogan as Disputes Administrator, and Louise Withers-Green as Validation Assistant. There are some others. Uh, the internal and external governance teams were expanded in 2016. Claire Francis Fuller, who Stolliday described as his office spouse, according to internal messages, mm -hmm. being made Head of Internal Governance, and Sophie Goodyear became Head of Complaint and Safeguarding. I don't know what these titles necessarily cover, <laughs> but hopefully... That will become more apparent as we talk about what they did. Okay. Uh, Dan Hogan, Louise Withers, Green and Sam Matthews were some of the main uh, whistleblowers in the Panorama Dock in 2018, yep. 2019, by the way. Um, Withers Green and Sam Matthews had both been field organisers for Britain Stronger in Europe during the referendum. The report notes that other candidates had applied from law firms, the police and other organisations that had experience of case management systems and complaints processes. However, Stolliday noted before interviews that there is one applicant who Sam would be more than happy to recruit for disputes administrator, talking about Louise Withers Green. Mm -hmm. Louise Withers Green has said subsequently that I didn't know anything about the issue of anti-Semitism before starting in the role. The report found no evidence of her being given any staff training or formal guidance about anti-Semitism. Uh, it goes into quite a bit about the workflow of complaints um, and how they got processed. Okay. I've tried to boil it down to the basics. Um, so for the 2016 leadership election, as we've, uh, as we've noted, Labour's lead developer, Richard Shakespeare, created a specific system for processing and making decisions on cases at scale, which that was the word tagging list that mm -hmm. we, we yeah. talked about. This, however, was viewed as a one-off system, and its use was ended shortly after the leadership election. The task for it a system for logging and recording complaints and cases appears to have sat with both Sam Matthews and Sophie Goodyear, with Matthews responsible for the cases side of things and Goodyear for complaints. From the 25th of November 2016 to the 19th of February 2018, the formal process for deciding on action for complaints, including anti-Semitism, was as follows. Complainants would email legal queries, an email inbox also used for queries for GLU's internal and external governance teams. A GLU administrator would forward complaints from that inbox, legal queries, to another inbox called disputes. Um, it notes it is not clear why the process was not simply that complaints were sent to disputes in the first the team staff managing the disputes inbox would investigate complaints to identify the Labour member they related to and make an initial judgment about whether there was a case for action. If they felt a case merited action, disputes team staff would forward the complaint from disputes inbox to Sam Matthews for his assessment and sign off. Sam Matthews would then decide on the course of action to take and inform the staff managing the disputes inbox and investigation officers as appropriate. However, in 2015, there was a competing inbox set up, complaints at labour.org.uk. In November 2017, as high-profile allegations concerning complaints of sexual harassment and assault were reported, the complaint inbox began to use, be used as a new entry point for complaints, and it was publicised as such. There was an overlap in the role of inboxes, however, and many complainants continued to submit complaints to legal queries, where the GLU administrator in turn continued to manually forward complaints to disputes. 
So they have two competing email addresses for reporting complaints. <coughs> What's more, for long periods of time in 2017 and 18, the disputes inbox, now the official destination for all complaints, appears to have been unmanned. From 3rd, of uh, from 3rd of November 2017 to mid-March 2018, the inbox does not appear to have had anyone working on it. Just five emails were sent from disputes, and without other key staff being CC'd, no action appears to have been taken on any anti-Semitism complaints forwarded there. Uh, as someone's job, as someone, my job, right, yeah involves basically sorting classifying and storing information so others can access it yeah. like this kind of shit like drives me insane that kind of like pointless workflow stuff yeah it it just oh and also if you remember i think it was in 2018 tom watson said his office would be monitoring stuff as well yeah he said and to me. That he had he said he had 50 anti-semitism complaints that he sent over to corbyn yeah directly yeah i'd like to point out in this process the leader of the opposition's office was criticised later on for getting involved in things. They keep their distance. Jeremy Corbyn and the entire leader's office can't expel members. Yeah. Only the NCC can, the National Constitutional Committee. Yeah. Right? They changed that in 2019 so that the NEC could expel people as well. But at this point, sending it to Corbyn is utterly pointless. He would have to then forward it to this GLU inbox. And right? hopefully get the right inbox. Hopefully get the right inbox and hopefully see that they acted on it, which yeah. uh, we'll come to now. The report states that in total, the party found GLU staff acted on at most 16% of the complaints made about Labour members engaging in anti-Semitism in this period. Comparatively, after the coup against Jeremy Corbyn began in 2016, in a matter of days, Labour staff created a system for trawling social media for different search terms, matching that data to member and supporter profiles, and then presenting it to staff and NEC members for consideration and review. They processed about 10,000 cases, taking thousands of decisions in just two months. <laughs> All of the staff in this process, Sam Matthews, Sophie Goodyear, Louise Withers-Green and Monique Shockness, worked in the same office and, according to the seating plan, sat in a row next to each other. Yeah. However, it wasn't just processes. The staff involved seemed to have had no briefing or skill at identifying anti-Semitism when they saw it. In early November 2015, the GLU suspended Andrew Fisher, a key advisor in Jeremy Corbyn's office, who subsequently became executive director of policy. The most prominent complaint about Fisher had come from Emily Benn, that's granddaughter of Tony Benn, yeah. the party's PPC for Croydon South in the 2015 election. The complaint was over a tweet from Fisher 14 months previously, seeming to support a candidate of anarchist group Class War over her. In mid-November, GLU interviewed Fisher, who maintained the tweet was, the tweet was sarcastic. GLU then suggested he be referred to the NCC for a full hearing. <laughs> Again. The NCC is the only body in the yeah. Labour Party could expel members, which was a, a kinnock innovation, by the way. Okay. However, at the same time, the GLU declined to act on complaints about Emily Ben herself, who just a month earlier had retweeted and posted on Facebook a tweet saying that anyone disappointed by Corbyn's male-dominated lineup should consider joining the Women's Equality Party, along with another retweet of WEP in mid-October 2015. The GLU then decided that retweeting was not cause for suspension, specifically to protect Emily Benn. 
In November 2015, as criticism mounted, Old No wrote, we are going to have to get some specifics on the Emily Ben tweet and quick. We need to put to bed this in relation to not suspending her. She noted to the GLU, we will simply have to hold this line when asked why we haven't suspended her. We need some examples of other high-profile people who have retweeted something controversial which we haven't taken action against. We should also say that we judge each case on its own merits, and Andrew Fisher actively retweeted, actively tweeted himself and urged people to support another party. So, like, yeah, they treated two different people from the party in a different way based on their position and their mates. Mm-hmm. However, what was more dangerous was that this became a precedent. Stoliday and other GLU staff would go on to make repeated references to the Emily Ben case when discussing approaches to shares and retweets, as if it was an established precedent. For example, in April 2016, a local member, Fleur Dunbar, was reported for sharing a Britain First meme saying that Britain should ban the burqa on security grounds. She claimed that the Rothschilds were behind the killing of Gaddafi, she posted a meme saying ISIS was to, created to protect the Zionist entity, that the Holocaust did not happen and six million Jews were all well fed. Hitler put Jews in camps because they stabbed Germany in the back and that it was Jews, not Nazis, who believed they were a superior race. The CLP complainant attached 40 Facebook, Facebook posts of her sharing uh, anti-Semitic memes and images. In response, Old No said, it is a tricky one. We are under some pressure nationally around suspensions for simple Facebook likes, and we have argued against suspending someone, brackets, Emily Ben, for sharing a Facebook article about WEP. That is, sharing doesn't mean endorsement, it means debate. I think the bigger issue is what she has said about Jewish people and pork, but I am not sure we can suspend over this and therefore suggest the local party interview her about the comments and see what she says. The local CLP were advised to deal with the case themselves. Fleur Dunbar was then reported again later that month for more recent posts denying the Holocaust. John Stoliday said, This is horrid. I don't like acting on material that is just shared, as it doesn't necessarily imply endorsement. Could she be asked to delete and apologise? And if she equivocates in any way, We'll suspend. Hmm. Hmm. So that is them directly enabling and hampering a suspension for anti-Semitism because they wanted to protect their own side. Yeah. Actively. John Mann MP forwarded to Ian McNichol an email from a local member, Tony Olson, Mm -hmm. which he described as an extraordinary diatribe from a Labour member. Olson's email included countless examples of classical anti-Semitism. He wrote, for example, the Jews are so sure that they are God's chosen race that they do not or will not accept that it is they who are stirring up, ha- stirring up hatred against themselves. They've been doing it for millennia. Is it not time they stopped? The guy even quoted Osama bin Laden's views on Israel without comment or criticism. Stoliday forwarded Olson's email to Mike Creighton, who is director of audit, risk and property, asking, is this enough to suspend and send to NCC for consideration? Creighton, however, was unsure. Quote, I think so, but I have to say I am very nervous about where the boundaries are drawn, as it were, on these issues, since it does not seem at all clear to me where distinction between right and wrong lies. I would 
pointed that out because this guy, Mike Creighton, yeah. was featured in the Panorama doc yeah. uh, who said he was approached by Seamus Milne for advice on anti-Semitism. He gave him my advice, which, as I recall, was two things. One was we should deal with some of the top-level anti-Semitic cases much more swiftly and robustly. And second thing, I suggested that it would be the right time for Jeremy Corbyn as leader to make a significant speech on the issue of the Middle East, particularly saying that Israel had a right to exist and that Milne laughed. This is currently, I think, the subject of a legal case between the Labour Party and Mike Creighton. But okay. yeah, um, Stoliday agreed that this was unclear and suggested just leave this one. I agree, it's not easy. It's offensive, but right at the limit of freedom of speech and thought. I don't think a warning letter would do anything, which is why I thought we should let the NCC decide. Maybe we should just leave this one. Well. Just like. All this stuff to protect Emily Benn, yeah. an investment banker who got parodied, parachuted into constituencies that she couldn't win. Jesus. And bear in mind, this was at the same, roughly the same time that um, Labour members were being suspended just auto automatically for like liking Green Party posts yeah. and shit like that. And this policy was in place. Yeah. Fucking crazy. Um, so the whole section on Labour against anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. uh, which was everybody here will probably know from being connected to the National Jew account on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, quite rabid about doxing people and attacking people, left-wing people on Twitter, whether they've been, whether they actually have any evidence of anti-Semitism or not. Yeah. Um, LAAS members such as Ewan Phillips, Emma Pickin, and others submitted regular numerous complaints to the Labour Party from spring 2017 onwards. LAAS individuals regularly submitted substantial dossiers, many of which contained streams of screenshots of Facebook comment threads. These dossiers would often run to hundreds of pages each, and it was often unclear who was being complained about and over what. Other times, some individuals were very clearly identifiable as Labour members engaging in anti-Semitism. Ewan Phillips was a CLP secretary in Tunbridge, and in April 2017 applied to be their Labour parliamentary candidate. Surprisingly, he was marked by the GLU as suitable with advisement based on candidates' CVs and the information GLU provided. The leader's office even recommended that he be selected as the candidate, even though this eventually did not happen, oh. which I didn't know. No. Corbyn recommended, Corbyn's office Phillips. recommended Ewan Phillips as one of their MPs. Nice. I mean, Tunbridge, but Tunbridge yeah. is the most Tory place in Christendom, but still. Yeah. <laughs> Um, his first complaints clearly underlined his political motivation as a complainant. On the 20th of September 2016, Phillips submitted a complaint asking for an investigation into Momentum over data use. Uh, Momentum isn't a, I don't believe is affiliated to the Labour Party. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in March 2017, he submitted a complaint about the cover image of a Facebook group which said, with a picture of Corbyn, Labour's leader deal with it, Blairites deal with it, Tory wannabes deal with it, Tories we are coming for you. The title of Philip's email was Reported Anti-Semitism, but he did not specify who he was complaining about or why or provide any evidence of anti-Semitism. Amazing. Uh, further in March, he it's submitted like, a complaint. Sorry, like, it's stuff, yes, it's just, um, there was a thing a while ago, um, it makes me just remember, there's like, there was a thing that happened a while ago on LBC where like regularly um, Cressida Dick used to do like a half an hour phone-in thing on um, Nick Ferrari's show. And yeah. it was a while ago 
where um, LBC handed them a bunch of um, handed the Met a bunch of documents on Labour anti-Semitism for them to charge, and I think in the end they ended up charging one person from all this massive pile. And it just like whenever you hear like, oh, they've got all this all this information, all these um, all these anti-Semitic things that people have been saying online, and how much of it is probably just gibberish. <laughs> Um, and so further on in know, March, LBC comment pages have some of the most horrendous fucking stuff on there anyway. But anyway. Um, further on in March, you and Philip submitted a complaint with a document containing a series of screenshots from a member's Twitter account. As well as a few allegations of anti-Semitism related retweets, he complained about the member retweeting the word Blairite. Retweeting a cartoon of Theresa May, Philip Hammond and Boris Johnson in which the latter two are children based on the viral incident where the children of an expert were interviewed by the BBC and wandered into shot during the interview. Mm -hmm. Phillips maintained this was, quote, very crass. Okay. Retweeting Michael Moore saying arrest Trump, regard Russiagate, calling for the impeachment, calling for the arrest of the president of the USA calling for the impeachment of the president of the USA, writing, what planet is this president on in reference to Donald Trump? Not words I would expect from a potential elected official of Labour, he said. Criticising Melania Trump as money mad, calling the White House amateurs, and retweeting an article on Bernie Sanders, calling on Donald Trump to fire Steve Bannon. These were all things that you and Phillips submitted to the Labour complaints process to say that it was anti-Semitic. So... He said that Bernie Sanders, Jewish man, complaining about Uh Steve Bannon, white supremacist (laughs) and anti-Semite. But Bernie Sanders complaining about the anti-Semite was in and of itself anti-Semitic. Yep. Yes. Shutting down anti-Semitism is almost as worse as uh, being an anti-Semite yourself. It seems that way. Um, Yeah. Later on in the report, they do go all anonymous about uh, how many complaints they received in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly sounds like you and Phillips, uh, or one of the National Jew lot, like the same traits are there, poorly evidenced, repeated complaints about the same people, rude and abusive in their replies. Um, in 2019, half of all anti-Semitism complaints and a third of all anti-Semitism cases came from this one individual, which again, hasn't been positively identified as you and Phillips, yeah. but I think we can say that. Okay. <laughs> uh, in, in October 2019, they did an audit of the number of emails the complainant had sent. Quote, we have done a brief audit of your recent complaints to us between the 7th of October and 16th of October. During that period, which is less than a month, you have emailed us a total of 92 times. 55 of the emails sent by you were following us, having already told you that your complaints had been logged and were being dealt with. We responded to you 44 times in that period. In total, the party has received 2,083 emails from this one complainant. Again, wow. not confirmed to be you and Phillips, but probably. His emails have resulted in 451 complaints being logged, comprising 22% of all anti-Semitism cases the party has logged since spring 2018. These complaints continue to be made with clear frustration from the complainant, despite the party being clear and consistent that we cannot give updates on cases to third-party complainants. They have been told this a multiple multitude of times, yet still continue to repeat complaints that they feel are not being properly dealt with. Hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, LAS, LAAS in the meantime were continually contacting MPs and mainstream news organisations, as well as the complaints department, to yeah. complain that they had documented anywhere between 700 and 6,000 individuals guilty of anti-Semitism. Uh, 
The report states that their claims were wildly inaccurate. The number of Labour members they had reported were about 100 rather than the hundreds or thousands they claimed. However, some evidence suggests that the volume of complaints led Sam Matthews, head of disputes, to regard these complaints as vexatious or spam, and he decided to ignore them. This may be partly due to the way that various LAAS individuals would coordinate together in all submitting the same complaints, presumably in an attempt to get the GLU's attention. In March 2018, based on Matthew's information, John Stolliday reported, the one time we did contact LAAS was to tell them that it was unhelpful to send random social media posts in the middle of the night. And they ought to <laughs> compile information about... <laughs> they ought to you can't just keep on sending pictures of Twitter accounts when you're drunk. <laughs> Um, on the 17th of September 2017, Legal Queries Inbox emailed Phillips regarding nine emails of screenshot documents he had sent in the preceding two months, suggesting a boilerplate form he could send, including the name of individuals and how to submit evidence. Phillips responded that the names of the individuals were all those making anti-Semitic comments or supporting George Galloway, and the evidence was the screenshots themselves. Matthews recalled this was a deliberately obtuse response. That said, despite the spammy nature of the complaints, the GLU were bound to investigate them. When asked about the LAAS complaints, Sam Matthews said that only one in five were actionable. Quote, 22% to be exact of the emails uh, Labour Against Antisemitism sends is actually a complaint the Labour Party may be able to do something about. Within that 22%, some of them will all be already be under investigation. However, Sam Matthews' report also appears to have been inaccurate, and the party does not recognise how many of the figures he produced or understand how he produced them as to how the LAAS investigation was going. This is a pattern that he would get into later on. <clears throat> Between the 4th of November 2017 and 14th of February 2018, LAAS submitted individual complaints about 86 individuals, about two-thirds of whom were actually members of the Labour Party. Their earlier complaints had also contained dozens of easily identifiable individuals who should have been investigated and now have been after these emails were discovered in our historical audits. This even included some cases of people whose membership numbers were located by Shockness, one of the members of the team. She identified six members from the report and sent their membership numbers to Louise Withers-Greens at Disputes, who thanked her. However, we have no record of Withers-Green or any other staff taking any further action and no cases were logged anywhere. Hmm. And it wasn't just LAAS's complaints that were going uninvestigated. The most dramatic example of how cases weren't pursued by the GLU is in the case of Chris Crooks. In August 2016, a member of Labour International submitted a complaint about fellow international member Chris Crooks for anti-Semitism. In September 2016, he followed up with further evidence. Both emails were forwarded by legal queries to validation, but no further action appears to have been taken. On the 4th of November, a different member of Labour International then emailed a complaint to Lorraine Hardy, who was the secretary of that organisation, CCing in NEC Disputes Chair Anne Black and other people concerning Christopher Crooks, who claims to be a member of Labour International CLP and who we believe to be a Holocaust denier and Nazi sympathiser. Another complaint came from the pro-Corbyn admins and moderators of an unofficial Facebook group for members of Labour International, who had discovered that Crooks had, over a number of years, published a range of Holocaust denial and pro-fascist materials across the internet, including on Facebook and in Amazon reviews. In total, in Amazon reviews. 20- oh yeah, oh yeah. 
In total, between August 2016 and February 2018, an 18-month period, the case of Chris Crooks was raised directly with Sam Matthews 12 times, with John Stolliday four times, and with other GLU staff four times, as well as being forwarded from legal queries to the appropriate inbox for action five times. It also went directly to General Secretary Ian McNichol twice. And yet, despite repeated assurances, including Matthews' direct assurances to Anne Black, that we'll be sending a notice of investigation today and we'll endeavour to have a report ready for disputes on the 31st, and then his claim that they were awaiting questions put to the um, complainant, no action was taken. In this time, 15 other members of Labour International had been suspended from the leadership election purge, and they had still not had those suspensions lifted. It was not until the 26th of March 2018, kind of 18 months later, when GLU came under more scrutiny from the leader of the opposition's office after Jenny Formby became general secretary, that Matthews then accessed his previous emails from Anne Black and initiated a case. Chris Crooks was finally suspended in March 2018 in the transition period between general secretaries and expelled by the NCC in July 2019. Jesus. <laughs> between February 2017 and November 2017, the party has had found that Louise Withers-Green forwarded at least 27 complaints of anti-Semitism to Matthews with proposals for action, with the relevant Labour members' membership numbers attached. That did not receive any response or action at all from Sam Matthews. When Withers-Green performed the role designated for her in the vast majority of cases, the members she found she identified for action were simply not acted on by Sam Matthews. In total, the party has found that there were more than 70 cases in this period where GLU staff had themselves identified or been made aware of the membership numbers of Labour, Labour members accused of anti-Semitism. In most cases, allegations that were very serious and well documented had no action taken against them. Hmm. So at this point, these people who you know are sending these emails to each other, did you say that they were all sitting next to each other in like a row? Uh, they're all sitting in the same row, yeah, or opposite each other. They include a floor chart. Amazing. It, there's three ta- there's three tables in the GLU Amazing. in this in this office. I just love the idea that they don't talk to each other; they just send each other emails. <laughs> I just don't mention it. Um, what's more. <laughs> this is quite damning for Sam Matthews. The report alleges that when asked by the incoming administration of Jenny Formby about uh, anti-Semitism stats, Matthews provided fake numbers to the leader's office about how many anti-Semitism cases were being managed. It also shows uh, Thomas Gardner, and uh, who we'll talk about later, and Jenny Formby repeatedly asking for stats relating to anti-Semitism. In April 2018, Sam Matthews quoted roughly 300 cases of anti-Semitism dealt with since 2015. But the report says this figure was inaccurate, that they could only find around 180. The difference between the two figures is made up of resignations during investigations. Hmm. Uh, Did you ever think it was weird that at the time all this was going on, that Labour never came out with detailed stats as to the number of suspensions and actions taken? Yes. Didn't you think it was really fucking weird? Yes. (laughs) The report does as well. Um, The Labour Party believes that Sam Matthews did this with the intention of misleading the General Secretary and the Leader's Office about what work he and his team had done over the past 18 months. The Labour Party does not have enough evidence to take a view on the motivation of Sam Matthews or other GLU staff for the policy towards suspensions um, operated between January 2017 and March 2018. 
However, it's been alleged by some former leaders office staff that GLU deliberately failed to act on extreme cases of anti-Semitism in order to undermine the Labour Party as led by Jeremy Corbyn. Another possibility would that, given the media publicity that accompanied failures to deal with anti-Semitism cases focused on Corbyn, key GLU staff were simply not motivated to deal with such cases properly and that they were only motivated to work on things that contained a factional element. There's one more example about this GLU team's lack of response uh, that really puts this whole kind of fucked up process in stark relief. Mm -hmm. Um, Welsh AM and cabinet member Carl Sargent had been suspended from the party um, after unspecified allegations were made against him, which made headlines nationwide. Uh, I recommend you listen to Desolation Radio. I think talk about it quite a bit. Um, it's well worth going back and, and listening to them from around that time. Sergeant was not provided with information regarding the allegations against him. On the 7th of November 2017, Sergeant called GLU asking to speak with Head of Disputes Sam Matthews. Matthews responded that he was unavailable to speak and would call back later. Later that day, Sergeant took his own life. Mm. Yeah, so this isn't just a... I, I, I genuinely don't know what to think because it just appears that nothing happened. Yeah. Like so many of these cases, like there are some cases where there's direct email evidence that a lot of people in the GLU just didn't think that, like really obvious anti-Semitism was, like I find it difficult to believe that they didn't think that outright Holocaust denial was not anti-Semitic genuinely. You have it earlier on of to keep it going. Much, you have it earlier on of how much they read things like the Spectator. Maybe they thought that genuine Holocaust denial is um is you know that's just opening up debate. <laughs> I it's it's just yeah. Anyway, um, so we get up to twenty eighteen. Uh, in February 2018, Ian McNichol stood down as General Secretary, and in March 2018, Jenny Formby was elected General Secretary. It's been commonly asserted in the media generally, and in the Panorama doc specifically, that the GLU was under intense political pressure from the leader's office to absolve people of anti-Semitism. A lot of this was disseminated as the Corbyn ally Formby was assumed to be displacing the quote-unquote decent McNichol and yeah. interfering in the processes of the GLU. However, emails documented in the report reveal this wasn't true. In November 2017, Corbyn's political secretary, Amy Jackson, emailed GLU and GSO about two council candidates, saying one had made comments that were very anti-Semitic and pretty recent, and that she must not be allowed to stand for selection, and saying that um, another candidate accused of anti-Semitism should not be a candidate. GLU's director, John Stolliday, reacted angrily to this. He emailed GLU colleagues saying, we are now getting demands from the leader's office to take action on people and that it was not the leader of the opposition's role and never has been to request disciplinary action against elected representatives. Stolliday also explicitly noted the implicit criticism and insinuation running through these communications from the leader's office is that we are not taking action on anti-Semitism. Not only is that like not true. Mm. Um, under Ed Miliband, the leader's office was consulted routinely on disciplinary cases, generally on where it concerned an elected an elected representative. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's what was all the stuff about? It was all focused on Corbyn. It yeah. was always focused yeah, was always on why on aren't him. you doing more? Yeah. Despite the fact that it's supposed to be an independent process, either either the leader's office get in, gets involved and cracked down hard, mm-hmm. which is a, it, from the emails it appears that they were trying to do. Or they are completely hands-off, and it has to be just to do with that. Yeah. You know? All of that fuzziness around the process really, really seems to be dispelled by quite a lot of what's in this report. Yeah. 
Um, and like whenever the leader's office did get involved, it was invariably to say there should have been stronger clampdowns. Yeah. Like arguing for suspensions where there had been none. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. More investigation. Um, one really prominent example of this kind of the leader, the leader's office arguing for stronger action was with Ken Livingston. Mm -hmm. Again, did you ever wonder why his inquir inquiry and hearing took a year? Yeah. His initial inquiry and hearing took a year, after which he got a two-year ban. After that ban, he may he kept making comments. He kept doubling down on his, on his defense of like Nazi Zionist collaboration or yeah. whatever, and did like interviews with press TV about the Holocaust and shit like that. Yeah. Um, the report says in the months following, both Jeremy Corbyn and the leader of the opposition staff repeatedly made clear their desire for Mr. Livingston's reinvestigation for his repeated offensive conduct. Ian McNichol responded, I can assure you that your complaint about Mr. Livingston is being investigated. Staff are currently working on compiling the numerous strands of evidence, including a significant number of witness statements. Despite Sam Matthews, John Stolliday, and Ian McNichol informing the Jewish labor movement in June 2017 that an investigation into Ken Livingston after his ban was underway, for 10 months after Livingston's April 2017 hearing, no investigation work appears to have been undertaken. No questions were put to Livingston and no witnesses were interviewed. Stolliday took no action and appears to have had no intention of taking any. Except until February 2018, the Labour deputy head of press, Stephanie Driver, named in the uh, factional messages yeah. that we mentioned earlier, apparently informed the Observer on the basis of information from Stolliday that no further investigation into Livingston was being opened and indicated that he would be readmitted to the party in April. <laughs> Stolliday finally confirmed internally in early 2018 that indeed no investigation had been launched, despite him promising that they, it had been, and he was on record saying, I anticipate Livingston will be back in membership in April. He admitted that the GLU staff and the General Secretary had power to launch an investigation and to suspend Ken Livingston at any time of their choosing. Leaders of his staff recalled that Seamus Milne was furious and believed this may have been briefed in order to create a bad news story for the leadership. Yes. <laughs> I, I just I remember that and it was like, yeah, it does seem like quite a long time. I'm sure it's very difficult and it's a lot more like a trial, you know, you've got to yeah. prepare lawyers and shit like that. But this wasn't even it wasn't even investigated until mm. there was time to brief the press. Yeah. After the change of uh general secretary to Jenny Formby, over a period of nine days, Sam Matthews voluntarily sent a total of twenty-four cases to the leader of the office, uh to the leader of the opposition's office for their views. In 21 of these 24 cases, 87.5%, leader of the opposition's staff agreed with the GLU's recommendation, 18 of which were suspensions. These 18 suspensions in a nine-day period compared to just 10 suspensions for anti-Semitism initiated by GLU and Sam Matthews throughout the whole of 2017. Uh -huh. So suddenly, when, there's a, when Jenny Formby comes in, suddenly all of these cases get sent over. Mm. And what's more the leader's office fucking agrees with them yeah that's not you know uh objecting to it as no. the the narrative came out afterwards yeah um john stolliday resigned as head of the glu in march 2018 and sam matthews was promoted to the acting head <clears throat> thomas gardner from the leader's office was put in under matthews Sam Matthews later told Panorama that from April 2018, Gardner was overseeing his work and, quote, it was awful. He made it impossible for me to do that job in the way that that job has always been done previously. That is probably the most obvious example of how Jenny created an environment and a culture that was toxic for me and my team. 
According to the Labour report, this is not at all accurate and Matthews' accounts are not credible. Matthews was acting director and his position was therefore senior to Gardner's. In this period, Gardner was receive, giving recommendations on behalf of was giving recommendations performing this role on the proposal of Sam Matthews himself. While his views were often listened to, in three cases highlighted in the report, staff declined to implement one recommendation to investigate a case at all, despite Gardner repeatedly chasing it, suggested changes to a recommendation Gardner had already made, and overruled a, garden, a recommendation of Gardner. A spreadsheet from 14th of May 2018 showed 43 cases with a recommendation and a response from Gardner. Gardner had agreed with one General Secretary rejection, 19 proposals to suspend, and 15 proposed notice of investigations. For 35 of the 43 cases, 81%, Gardner agreed with the recommendation made by GLU and Sam Matthews. Contradictorily, the Guardian reported at the time that emails dating from March to May last year showed that an official, Thomas Gardner, acting on behalf of the General Secretary, Jenny Formby, opposed recommendations from the party's investigation team to suspend members accused of anti-Semitism. Hmm. Again, this is from the Labour Party's point of view. You know, yeah. maybe they cherry pick emails, maybe, but there's a lot of it here. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, in June 2018, a number of GLU staff, Sam Matthews, Dan Hogan and Louise Withers-Green, suddenly left their roles. On the 3rd of June 2018, Naresa Osai, who, like Sam Matthews and Louise Withers-Green, had worked at Britain Stronger in Europe and also Tony Blair's Faith Foundation, mm -hmm. raised a formal grievance with Sam Matthews that she was being subjected, subjected to a hostile working environment. She alleged that Matthews has taken a bullying attitude towards me, has initiated a false disciplinary and or performance management process against me, and was proposing a series of changes to work which would micromanage every aspect of my work. Uh, she said, I couldn't help but think that it was an unconscious bias, as I am a black woman, which is often a stereotype, and surprised that it is not seen as rude for some colleagues who identify as white to take the tone that they do with me. She also described Matthews insisting that I am the per permanent head of disputes and this is what is best for the team. This was after he'd been promoted to head of the whole unit, not just yeah. head of disputes. He demanded to be CC'd on all case correspondence, insisting he be informed of all communications she had with the general secretary and wanting to receive every stage of the drafting and editing process regarding the decisions of the NEC anti-Semitism working group. On 14th of June 2018, Louise Withers-Green also went on sick leave. She uh, raised concerns to Sam Matthews, including, I feel unsupported since you stopped being my direct line manager. The pressure on the team has been unreal. I feel that we're being expected to do such a huge and impossible amount of work, and when we inevitably don't keep up with it, we'll be blamed for the issues even existing in the first place. I have previously asked to work from home because the atmosphere has impacted my well-being, but I was told that presence in the office is important. A week later, Dan Hogan also went on sick leave. This immediately followed Osai catching him editing the notes of an interview on action he had taken on an Islamophobic attack by a member whose suspension Hogan had lifted. Matthews has been subsequently angered by claims that the BBC has prioritised an investigation into anti-Semitism while ignoring allegations of Islamophobia in the Tory party. Quote, of course both issues should be called out in the same vociferous way, he says. The difference between the two, though, and I say this before we don't, before we know who the next Tory leader is, is that I don't believe Theresa May is an Islamophobe with an army of Islamophobic advisers around here. I do think the Labour Party is led by an anti-Semite, though. This is a leadership view. I do think Jeremy Corbyn is turning a blind eye to anti-Semitism. This is why this is a bigger issue. 
so to put it into to put that into a larger context from the 1st of April 2017 to the 19th of February 2018 a period of over 10 months there was not a single anti-semitism case that went through the GLU's designed processes and received action a suspension a notice of investigation or a membership rejection so that's basically saying the processes that the report lays out were not followed in full in any single case mm-hmm. up until February 2018 in total between November 2016 and the 19th of February 2018, a period of almost 16 months, GLU staff initiated just 10 suspensions for anti-Semitism, 24 notice of investigations, and two general secretary membership rejections for anti-Semitism. You might say, oh, they were working on other cases, you know, sexual harassment, bullying, all that kind of stuff. But apparently the workload on that was not high. Uh, during that same period, all cat- across all categories, including anti-Semitism, they initiated just 56 suspensions and 71 notices of, notices of investigations. By contrast, the Labour Party has recorded 296 suspensions and 283 notices of investigations in 2019 for anti-Semitism cases alone. Hmm. So, yeah, there's a few conclusions we can draw from the report and what we've what we've seen. If we take the common assumption that the Corbyn leadership was anti-Semitic, if it was actually anti-Semitic, right, yeah. let's say that, and was trying to get their mates off anti-Semitism charges, they did a fuck of a lot of work producing not only this 850-page report <laughs> yeah. full of decision matrices, workflows. They opened up expelling powers beyond the NCC to yeah. the NEC, Yeah. right? They did all that. If you remember the, the headlines, the leader's office was under pressure to both do more about anti-Semitism personally and also to absent themselves from the process. Combine this with the fact that no one else but the NCC, not Corbyn, not Form B, not the NEC until October 2019, could expel members. I'm really at a loss as to where else the blame should be other than the GLU. It just appears yeah. like nothing, nothing went through. Yeah. Like... The timeline of what Jeremy Corbyn did is included in um, in the report as well, kind of action the Labour Party took. And it's like an advertising thing. It's saying how good we are, right? And mm-hmm. you can have problems with that individual thing. But all I'm saying is like the Chakrabarti report was published in 2016 that suggested identification and action guidelines for anti-Semitism. It was adopted as party policy in 2017. The number of investigations were low. Press, press was briefed that it wasn't good enough. They gave, uh, they expanded the GLU, gave San Matthews himself the unilateral power to suspend people. Mm. The number of suspensions remained low. Corbyn wrote to Ian McNichol, I think in 2018, saying the sorting of anti-Semitism cases was too slow. The numbers remained low. The GLU grew in size until it was the largest working department outside of the campaign's office within the Labour Party. The numbers still remained low. Jenny Formby got elected in 2018, made it a priority to tackle anti-Semitism. She appointed an independent legal brief, uh, Gordon Nardell, who's a senior barrister who specialises in constitutional and human rights law and is Jewish, to replace Emily Oldno after she moved on. The leader's office were provided with inaccurate figures by the GLU and repeatedly emailed um, by the GLUs asking for their opinion on cases, which had not happened before 2018, between 2015 and like 2018. The emails portray senior figures such as Milne, Formby, Curry Murphy and Andrew Murray repeatedly asking why figures with prima facie evidence of anti-Semitism had not been suspended. Around this time, the press were briefing that the leader's office was interfering in cases to stop uh, suspension for anti-Semitism. And just to finish on some, some... uh, statistics. When Sam Matthews and others left the GLU in 2018, 
early 2018, the number of anti-Semitism cases pursued increased dramatically. There was a tenfold increase in the number of suspensions imposed and investigations launched in 2018 compared to 2017. Ten suspensions in 2017 to 98 in 2018. In 2016, just six anti-Semitism cases were brought to NEC panels. And then in 2017, 28. In the second half of 2018, 72 anti-Semitism cases were brought to panel, more than double the number of 2016 and 2017 put together. In 2019, 274 cases were heard by NEC panels, which by then had been empowered to expel members. Yeah. A threefold increase on the previous year and a tenfold increase on 2017. Like, if they, if the leader's office really, really wanted to repress anti-Semitism, like, like stop people from being expelled, they expelled more people than when people who, from the first bit, we know are on the Labour right and were anti-Corbyn, they, they, did, they did more to expel anti-Semites yeah. than those people did. Yeah. And like, all the stuff with Labour against anti-Semitism, these were two groups who on the face of it, if you look at their political alignment, were both very, very anti-Corbyn. Mm -hmm. And yet they were so, for whatever reason, they were so opposed to either doing, like just doing their job that they didn't even process from these like avowed anti-Corbynites. Yeah. Like, did they think it would be better? I guess they think they thought it would be worse for Corbyn if it existed and if yeah. it just persisted, yeah. if nothing was getting sorted. And like, with the result of the election and everything that's gone on, I can't say they were wrong. Mm. Um, it kind of worked, yeah. but it doesn't help with fucking dealing with anti-Semitism, and it's just yeah, which it's is the utterly issue. gross. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I will say the report shows that. I've said it before, we should have probably done what they did. Mm. They were setting up secret meetings to protect uh, to protect them from the other side. Maybe the Labour left should have been doing that. The Labour left has always been, you know, they're always so transparent and so they're they're more played by the rules than the right. Yeah, that's by far. Yeah, they've always like they've always struggled to be to be on it. I'm not saying oh, in a way they're too good, but like their mode of operation while Corbyn was in power was to constantly like press on transparency and democracy and all that kind of shit. Mm. And I don't know, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> It wasn't worth it. Yeah. <laughs> considering the outcome. Oh. Okay, subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, follow us at WDT80W underscore podcast. Follow me at BM Bergamo. Follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. I love my country. Indeed I do. But oh, that war has made me blue. I like fighting. That's my name. But fighting am the least about the fighting game. Mr. Hoover said to cut my...